out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of the band, the Jack Rubies, because I spoke to their vocalist, guitarist, songwriter Ian Wright very recently to find out more about life, love, poetry and also about the current activities of the band who've just recorded two new singles and are looking to put out some of their archives hopefully in the future if you want to find any more information go to the Bandcamp page of the Jack Rubies but anyway, look, this is an interview this is the second one I've done with the band so if you want to hear about the first one or the bit more of the history of the band do check out the first one this one though is um october 2022 where we were talking about yeah post lockdown and uh, what the future might bring for the jack groovies anyway um after several minutes of interesting but casual chat we got down to that exciting subject that was really a little bit of a background to the band before getting into the business of the day which i have no idea what we talk about but it's going to be fascinating anyway ian Tell us a bit, little bit more about the Jack Rubies. I mean, the uh, the basic quick quick uh, biography of the band is that we got going in the probably around '85. Started we 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 were basically two different bands. A lot a lot of interconnected friendships between the two bands, but um, three of them three of the group were in one band, which included me, and two of the others two two of the others were in another group. And we basically, one day we had a kind of practice session together. We thought, oh, this sounds good like this. Let's, let's form a band of all five of us. Um, and that, and we sort of, that was the beginning of it in 1985 in London. We were all living in northeast London, Hackney area, that sort of thing. Right. Had uh, you come together as students or was that your hometown? It, no, my hometown actually is Birmingham. Uh, but I'd been a student in Reading and there I had met. Um, Two of the future Jack Rubies. Um, one, one, one of them was also an art, an art student like me, uh, and the other guy was somebody who just was in the local scene in Reading. Yes. Um, so that so there was friendships from that far back, um, and then the the drummer Max and the percussion player Lawrence we met in London. So right. it was post just post college, uh, right after college. Um, you know the the the, the dull Q years and. Um, the dog, yes. Yeah, and then uh, we got going. Well, it was funny because I did an interview with a member of the Rose Hips who were based in Stoke-on-Trent, and they were talking mm-hmm. about, you know, reminiscing about the doll years and the Job Seekers Allowance years and having to get a £1,000 to to become a sort of self-employed, unemployed person. But at least you, I think you might have got an extra £10, but you didn't have to do any restarts. You didn't have to go and sign in every fortnight. You just got your money and you could sort of, just live the life of an artist, but mostly just going to the pub and getting drunk, really. But, um, yeah, so the dull years were really important. And I'll just say, everyone's got very excited about this new book that's just come out. I know this is a plug. This one, Animal House by by James Brown. Ah, yes, I, I, I've heard about it. Yeah, so that's, yeah. Well, just as an idea, because I wasn't a, a massive, well, I was not a fan of Loaded at all. And I thought, mm-hmm. I have no interest in this at all. And then, you know, I did an interview and then I read the book. 
why I read the book and ended the interview. And and at least half of it is about the 80s, the indie scene, being a fanzine writer. So you'll realise if you, you know, I don't know what year you were born. I was born 64. I think James was about 65. So really the cultural references are really strange. It's like, oh my God, that's, yep, 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 yep you know. So the half, yeah. so half of it's good. And actually the 90s is quite good as well, the loaded years and but then the rehab years and stuff like that. But it's quite touching. It's a really good read. So anyway, that's a plug for um, 80s indie. It just captures that whole sound. And funny enough, the guy from the Rose Hips is kind of reading it as well and was like, my God, I bought I bought fanzines from James at those gigs that he went to, you know, so it's like... Yeah, it was, that's, it, no, that's interesting because uh, I, I don't remember that specifically, but I know that he was part of... He was definitely before the Loaded era, which again, like you, it's not really my cup of tea. But um, uh, he was definitely in that indie scene, and a lot of bands refer to have, have you know knew him at that time pre pre the whole kind of uh, rip hop. Yes, and there, was, you know. and there was the NME years at the late eighties. Yes, yeah, so that's yeah. when that's when you got. So when you when the two when the two sort of slightly fragmented bands came together for the Jack Rubies, mm-hmm. yeah. magic. It was kind of the magic moment. Did you at that stage was it? Was it a sense of like, this is our mission, we're going to do music and we, you know, having a real sort of enthusiasm that the band was going to be everything and you might end up as a, you know, musician for the rest of your life. Was there, was that part of the intent? Yes, without a doubt. Um, certainly on my my behalf, uh, but I think everybody was on board with that commitment. Um, you know, I, I may have been uh, the leader, so to speak. Um, but um, you know the reason I think the band worked and why we we did whatever things we did do was because of that commitment. So so yeah, everyone had to be on call all the time. We were you know we were rehearsing every day of the week or five days a week. We would try and you know play somewhere from the local pub and grab you know uh, you know graduate from there as time went by. Um, and we were writing you know I was writing songs every day or trying to write songs every day so yes. yeah it was, it was a big commitment um and uh i think you need to have that kind of commitment to even have a chance of making any impact to be honest with you yes i i, I remember doing I, I did an interview with him and i also heard him talking jj french from twisted sister which is a very odd ah, time to mention yeah. but they they'd spent you know like 10 years before they even got a record label but they had been playing from the 70s right through to the early 80s every night if not to you know like just these gigs around new york sure. and and everyone rejected them and it's an amazing story of how they eventually get signed which i won't go into but it's it's quite an extraordinary because every record you know even though they were selling out these massive concerts and were doing really well no one would sign them and every record company just said no we'll never sign you we don't want you on your on the roster um and if anybody signs you we'll sack that person so it was kind of that but Mm -hmm. the the point I was making was that he he was often saying you have to practice at all times just to get that little bit of edge on everybody else otherwise you're never going to make it so it is interesting the 80s and the sense of that unemployed period of kind of which is basically like a grant isn't it of, of yeah. kind of doing the commitment without sort of getting kind of sidelined into doing a job and then getting sidelined into sort of you know having you know job appraisals when you just want to go and you know yeah. write some great lyrics it just doesn't kind of function really does it and yeah I think the 80s 
did have that kind of ability to do it. And funny enough, I did an interview with a member of the Chesterfields who've also <clears> brought, an, brought an album out. And, and quite a few of them were on furlough. So they said it felt like the 80s again, being sort of paid to, to make a record. So that was that was their the reason for their bringing the record out, which I think came out this month actually so um that's the Chesterfield well I mean without without jumping ahead I think there is a there's an a element of that in our recent story as well I mean I don't think we I, th- I think just it gave everyone the time to think about things again the COVID period because you know most of us did have to take some time off work uh the band members some of them live in America some of them live in the UK but we all had different COVID uh holidays of one sort or another and um that was a factor in in uh, thinking about whether we would maybe do something again. Yes. So just, just I got this is like a Doctor Who wibbly wobbly story, isn't it? I know. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's so a timey wimey thing. It's a timey. It is the timey wimey. So then the band's seven. It's eighty five, and then your last album, "See the Money in My Smile," yes, that comes yes, out yes. in nineteen ninety. Yeah. Is that when the band finishes the, on the first occasion? Yeah, pretty much the following year, really. Um, so in brief, so we formed in 85. We managed to put out an indie sort of mini album, as they called them then, a six track mini album on vinyl the following year in 86, which was quite good going. Um, and so then we we started, you know, getting on that, that gig circuit that we all know about the, all over the country, the little indie gigs all, all in, all, in all the towns, wherever they might be. Um, and then we put out a bunch of singles in 87 and 88. I think we did two each year with, with the idea that we were trying to land a, 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 a deal. It didn't have to be a big record deal, but to have enough um, uh, you know, input from, from somebody so we could make an album. That was kind of the, the, uh, the impetus for all that. But it didn't happen. We couldn't seem to get past that point. Um, so this is taking us into 88-ish. But what did happen was that an American label called TBT Records, who were New York-based, um, gathered up all those indie singles because they particularly liked one track called "Be With You," and said, "Let's let's put. Can we put this out as a compilation in the in the? We're not even going to call it a compilation. We're going to say this is your debut album because mm. one of the tracks had really been in America. And luckily for us, which we did, luckily for us." Um, they had a reasonable amount of resources and pushed it very hard. And we found that that track became what they called a college radio hit. So all the college stations, which is a big deal, especially in that period, um, had it on rotation. And it ended up getting onto MTV because uh, there was a, a video for it as well. So we, we had this sort of minor bubbling under indie hit in the States. Um, Meanwhile, our career in England was starting to falter. Um, we'd had sort of golden reviews and lots of press in 87, but 88, 89, people were starting to get a bit, you know, uh, well, we didn't go to the next level, so what's the next thing we're going to look at? Um, so anyway, the focus turned to America to some degree. Um, we were still living in England, but after the success of that first record, Fascinating Vacation, which was really a compilation, we did a brand new album, which is the one you just referred to, see the money in my smile um and it was not released in the uk it was a a us only release and we spent the best part of 1990 touring that in the states um and um basically it didn't do as well as we all all hoping on the back of the first record 
And uh, that's when the support started to wither away a little bit. And then we were sort of five Englishmen or half Scottish, half Englishmen in a, in a, in a foreign country with everything falling into bits all around us. And, it, you know, it, it fizzled out and disintegrated. And that's really when the band, um, it, did, it wasn't the day when we said, this is it, we're stopping. But it kind of in fits and starts came to an end in sort of 91-ish. Right. Um, and uh, and that was really, you know, we didn't fall out. We all remained friends, but we all went off in different directions and did different things. And um, by the mid-90s, I did one or two other little projects musically um, with people I knew, not the Jack Rubies. Um, but by the mid-90s, I was sort of like, you know, I think I'm going to just close the lid on this. And I put my guitar in its case. And I really didn't ever play my guitar ever again until or write any songs until in the last 12 months. Wow, that's amazing. God, I have to say there's a yeah, there's a lot of books out at the moment about the 80s, but there was, I sort of suppose I just remember the, the guy from the Rose Hips. I said, have you still got a guitar? He said, no, on the last gig that we were doing, I just threw it on the ground and smashed it. And I knew that was going to be the end of the band. And and it's like, oh, my God, that's so drastic. You shouldn't. I sort of feel, I sort of feel sympathetic to that point of view. I didn't do that, but I did put it in its case, shut it in the cupboard, and that was it. You know? Yes. Was that Was that kind of an important thing to stop? That kind of let's have had it been the case that it had been like let's just do one more ch- one more go at this one more go a bit like Rocky but with musical instruments and then you think oh, yeah God. I mean I think I think in a way yes I I just thought we've been we've been banging away at this we just can't seem to uh, go to another place with it and I'm just stopping now because it's I'm getting upset about doing it and uh, it's not enjoyable. And, yes. uh, life life affirming in the way it once was. So I stopped. Uh, I don't think I said to myself, "I'm never going to do it again." But that's what you know. Time goes by, and then uh, suddenly you realize it's ten years later. It's twenty years later. It's it's more than twenty years later, and you know, it goes yeah, on. I know. Well, it's interesting because um, that's a kind of that's quite a similar story to an awful lot of bands, isn't it? You know, so. From that period so. where yeah. they. They're thinking, I'm just going to have to try and get teacher training. That's that's the one. Yes, or I one mean, of those ones. It's like, I'm going to go and get a degree, get teacher training, do the music, and then one day just think, oh, I might play a few gigs in the local pub, and then I'll do a few more things. And sometimes with the old <clears> band, sometimes with a new band, sometimes just <clears> for the love of it. So it's been quite nice. I mean, in the last five years, there's been quite a lot of those artists from, you know, Davey from the brilliant is it Davey from uh, Dave Woodward from the Brilliant Corners? And, okay, yeah. And the June Brides has had a few moments, and obviously the yeah, Chesterfields yeah. and the Flatmates. And so there's a lot of bands and the Darling Buds and you know the Primitives. And I think everyone's kind of quite enjoying enjoying it really. And there's a few people. I I think the person who I've always been quite amazed by is Amelia Fletcher. I mean, there's a few who have just kind of thought, I'm going to yes. keep the music going, but I've definitely got to have a day job, and somehow keep keep that quite yeah on on sort of par with each other which I'm not quite sure how she's managed to do that so then you get on you you end up in America as you do was mm. that because of your me uh the touring that happened in America during 19 um yes I mean it's why I found myself in, in America for sure um and when the band did sort of how it, how it kind of ended was that I was in America and the others were back in England and part of that decision on my part was to stay close to TVT records and try and 
give them a shake and say, come on, what's going on? Because, you know, they were they were still like playing a funny kind of game with us. Like, well, we're not really ready to do any more touring or make another record, but just keep making demos, keep writing songs. So this kind of scenario was going on for a bit. And I don't know to this day whether it was the long letdown. That, that was just saying they, there was no way they were going to do anything more with this or, or they really were still saying, uh, you know, maybe he'll come up with, uh, you know, the song. But um, I, I, I stayed in New York as, and, and as time went by, uh, I, I sort of, whatever money I had started to dwindle away as well. Um, and I find, found myself doing, you know, with, with people in the music biz at that time who I knew, able to do little jobs here and there, a little bit under the table. Um, I worked for a video production company for a while. So I sort of kept kept in the sort of circle. Um, but time went by and, you know, I I, uh, I met my wife who's American at a certain point and um, still had no firm plans to stay in America indefinitely for as long as I have done. But that's what happened. We stayed here. Um, life moved on. I did other things. Um, I, I worked in, a, in an area completely out of the music business for 20 something years. Um, and it's only been in the last three, four, five years that I've even thought very much about the Jack Rubies. Um, but the technology, the, the digital technology that has become widespread now for being able to have music available worldwide, you know, on whether, whether it be Spotify, iTunes, or whatever, whatever platform it is, I, it, suddenly something clicked for me and was like, well, we need to tidy up our archive and have that stuff available. Um, so if nothing else, my grandkids or people I know when I'm no longer here can, can have a listen to that music if they want to. It's not some scratchy vinyl that's in the basement, you know. Um, so we, we made a concerted effort. That's when the band really started to communicate again. It's not that we hadn't communicated, but suddenly there was a focus, I'm going back a few years now, to... But let's just tidy things up so it's like you can find our songs, you can see the videos, you can do you if you if you're interested in the Jack Rubies, you can find out a bit about them, which you couldn't do for many years. There was just nothing online about us because we didn't make any effort to put anything yes. online, and nobody else would have made any effort to put anything online about us. But sort of, um, I suppose, simultaneously with an interest generally in that period of history and music, um, we started to get you know, start, we found, we found our password to, you know, Jack Ruby's pay, Facebook page. <laughs> Who's got the password? Oh, yeah. Okay, so we should put something up here. So um, anyway, the communication within the band really began as an effort to tidy all that stuff up. No plans to do anything else. No plans to reform. In fact, I was very resistant to it because I didn't think I'd know one end of the guitar to the other if, if there was any kind of <laughs> pressure to do any new music. Um but anyway, what we basically have now at this point, and I think we were in the process of it when we last spoke, but we have now at this point, historically today, really released everything that we can, that we have the, you know, the legal copyright to, um, of the old material, of the vintage material. So that's out there. Um, the two big American albums that we put out on TBT we are pursuing the return of the copyright to us, um, which was where 
where I was kind of thinking when we last spoke, we were just beginning that journey. And we have found, uh, and it might, this might be useful information to other bands who may listen to your show if they don't know about it, but we found that there is a provision in the, the US copyright law for musicians, authors, any kind of manuscript or song to, you, you, there is a process to have your authorship and your copyright returned to you after 35 years of its original issue, which is kind of where our albums are at right now. And so we set that process in motion. Um, it's, it's still ongoing. So I don't want to speak too much about it because I'm, I'm trying to avoid it, anyone pushing back against it. But yes. in, the, in theory, um, in a fairly reasonable amount of time from now, we, we, we very well may be able to now have those two albums back and release them or not but have the rights to do whatever we want to do with them. Yes. Um, and it's, 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 in, it's in process, which is, so if anyone's out there is listening to this, is, was ever in that same position, how do I get my copyright back? When I say copyright, I don't mean, the, it's not the publishing of the song itself or the, or the authorship of the song. It's the, who owns the actual recording, the physical tape, songs that went down onto the tape that came out on such and such record, because the record companies keep that. Uh, and then they keep it, they try and keep it forever. But so if you try to do anything with, with that, they'd have to license, you'd have to license it from them, or there's all kinds of uh, potential hurdles. Right. But in fact, in fact, the law does allow this to happen, for it to go back to the band, or if I was a poet, go back to the poet 35 years later, um, if you follow the procedure. So that's yes. all ongoing. God, which I don't want to get too stuck on that, but that, that was actually another factor in, in all of us um, talking about should we do any more music? Because we couldn't put anything out. We, we hope to be able to put those records out a bit later down the line. But now there's kind of this chunk of time, basically 2023, where... We could, if we felt so inclined, think about writing some brand new stuff and putting that out and see if anyone's interested in that. And that was sort of the impetus for current release, Heidi Hole, which is a sort of first sort of, you know, let's feel out if anyone's still interested in, in this at all. Yes. So just briefly, so the copyright, as I know you said it, is the actual tape. The publishing... Well, who, so who okay, has... So, yeah. Okay, so, okay, I'll try and explain a bit more clearly, and it may not be that clear because I'm not, uh, you know, a music lawyer, but we were published by... We had a publishing deal um, with quite a big company, Warner Chapel Music, and what happened with that deal was that after 10, after 10 years um, of being... of the contract ending... Uh, the, all, the, all the publishing returned to the artist. So we own the publishing, which I think is very reasonable. And actually, I'm very glad that, that was a good deal that we signed because, you know, we didn't have to, in perpetuity, as they say, uh, have to fight to get uh, our publishing back. Yes. So in other words, if I wrote a song um, and we recorded it, you know, now, uh, we own all the rights to it. But the copyright of the recording is the recording that was released 
right on when it was first published so they so in the in the in the case of this record company that we were on in, in the states the well-known recording of that song be with you for example that when they were active because they've actually gone out of business now um they owned the, the recording copyright of yeah. that particular version of the song so in other words we could put out a different version of it or a live version or a radio session version of the actual song everyone, the actual recording that everyone is familiar with. Um, no, they, whoever owns that recording copyright is the person who controls it. Right, my God, that's such a great kind of world, isn't it, really? It is. It's so, I mean, when we last spoke, we were just beginning to scratch the surface about this, and it was, a, it was a, like a, you know, we had to go through several different, parallel universes to get to the other side you know yeah I know I'm sure there, there's an easy you know if you, if you could sort of visualize this and and then go yeah I really understand that rather than get to the end of being explained it and go nodding away going yes yes I have no idea what he's just been talking there about. there was a bit of that there's a <laughs> bit of that for sure but we did manage to find a very um competent and very helpful uh music lawyer um who was also aware of our situation that we're not um world famous musicians with a big budget we we're trying to do this for legacy and for to get our rights back so yes. if the price was right so we it was she was able to work with us i'm sure it would have been a different price if it was a different artist um, yes. she was she was very very good and helpful to us and so we've set that ball in motion it's still not completely resolved no but the but the um uh the side kind of result of that was that we kind of said let's try writing some songs again yes well absolutely just as we progress is it then theoretically is it the case then that one day is like yes these are the tapes and now you've got the copyright because you own those tapes and would that then be the end of it if there was no challenge to the, what we've done is called a a notice of term, uh, sorry, a, a notice of termination of the original co copyright. If if they, the, the people who own the copy, several parties own the copyright to those songs. Um, so in what I think what happened was when TVT folded, as part of their bankruptcy, they sold various bits and pieces of the company here, there, and everywhere to try and shore things up um and one of the things they did sell away was the jack ruby's copyright on those two albums they've never been used by the parties who have them they've just been in an archive ever since then mm. um they're just sitting there but in the, finding out where they were in, in itself was kind of a uh, a detective story yes but but um but we do know now who's who's held the copyright all these years where they are sorry go on yeah, and, and so you know exactly, you know, if you looked at Google Map, you go, yes, they're going to be in that build. I'm not saying we're going to do a sort of Kate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do, do the heist. Blow um, the doors off and then try and steal yeah, your tapes, but I'm yeah, not. Yeah, but that's, yeah, that would be yeah. it. You went, my God, they're there. That's So you know in America, they're somewhere in America. You know where they are. Well, we, I can't, I don't know the building, but um, but it's, Yes, the, in theory, those will come back to us. Um, there's, there's two things, there's two or three different scenarios. One is that there's pushback from the people who own the copyright, copyright now. They say, um, 
no, we're challenging you, you on that. You can license this material and we're going to fight you in court to uh, hang on to the material as our copyright. Now, that would be a very bad situation from our point of view because we're not about to start funding a, a court battle with a major corporation. Yeah. Um, but, um, and you'll notice I'm not saying any names here, but that's for no. obvious reasons. Yes. But um, that has not happened and that the, the paperwork was um, served quite a long time ago now. Um, so that has not happened. Fingers crossed, that will continue. Um, the other thing that could happen is that they have the legal first refusal to say, well, we'll offer you a new record deal. Okay, you want your stuff back? How about this? We give you a record deal instead. And uh, we then have the right to say yes or no. We don't have to accept that. But depending on the terms, if that was to be the case, depending on the terms of that, you know, uh, pretend record deal, then that might be a, um, a possible way to resolve things. Or if we don't want to do that and they're not pushing back and they don't think it's worth their time to do a court, court battle or anything like that, then the rights will fully return to us and all the parts. And then we can either never do anything with them, we can release them on our own label, we can exploit them in any way we choose to. But yes. it's us, it's us who would have the rights to. Yeah. And also, yes, you can then archive them. Sorry, I got a bit hung up about all that because it's so I find it so interesting, as you know, in a, in so many ways. It's such a bizarre world, isn't it? I don't know if this is completely true, but I remember hearing that. No one knows where Mark Boland's money goes to, whether that's, you know, whether I've just, that source I heard decades ago is true or not, I'm not sure, but nobody from his family have ever seen the money, but all this cash must go somewhere and everyone's going, I don't know where, but whether that story is true and whether that's changed at all. But yeah. it's just kind of one of those weird worlds, isn't it? You know, it's like, oh. That's it's it. the, you uh, know, you're right. It's the sort of arcane music business labyrinth um, yes, I, I I didn't honestly think until we started this process or even started thinking about it that those records, I mean, they haven't been re-released. But I thought there's no way that will ever those songs will ever be in the public domain again, and um, whoever's got them will never find out who's got them, and um, that's the end of it. It's like it's a mystery that can never be solved. But yes. because I had a bit of time on my hands in the, the COVID period, I really. That was one of the projects that I set myself to really get to the bottom of this, see if there's anything that we should be doing. And it turns out that it was something that we should be doing. No one was going to help us or tell us to do that unless we started the ball rolling ourselves. Um, but that's why I say, without, without wanting to get too bogged down on this, because <laughs> people are going, oh, God, more about this copyright thing. But, um, uh, <laughs> um, but it might be helpful for other yes. bands. No, it, I'm sure, because there must be a lot of people who have done exactly what you've done and then went, it's a bit of a, you know, and sort of got on with the rest of their life. But then decades passed and then one day you think it would be nice to archive it. And I think that's yeah, that's, the, yeah. that's the kind of thing that it's like, it would be nice to tidy it up. It's nice to re-remember, you know, to remember it with really fondness and not just the, the how it finished kind of moment. And actually we did make some quite good music and we did have some quite nice times. And actually I think most bands just love that idea of putting a little compilation together because there's a lot of bands now who, from the, that period, who only released a few <clears throat> EPs, you know, like four EPs, a flexi disc, mm -hmm. and then some yeah. some little record label in London, in Germany called Firestation or one in, I think, New York called Cloudbury. And there's um, 
there's cherry red records obviously there's optic nerve yeah. in preston you know there's there's all these little record labels springing up and they're going oh mm-hmm. we'll put a compilation out because we're because <laughs> we're a bit peculiar and we like to just spend all our time re- reissuing or just you know collecting this stuff from um nearly yeah, 30 40 years ago and and putting it out i'm sure 250 people want to buy it so it's brilliant it is, it's it's it really brilliant. fantastic <laughs> yeah no it really it really i'm aware of all those operations you spoke about and i think that's i'm part of me is like why are they doing it um why are they just you know whichever label you, you want to talk about but why are they just doing this reissue program but it's fantastic um i'm really glad they are uh but i can't i can't quite figure out whether it's like um, it's all, we've just landed in the right place at the right time again, or it's it's slightly mysterious to me, but I, I love it. Yes, and now actually, there's another label that started called the Precious Recordings of London by a man called Nick, who's who's reissuing or releasing these John Peel, Janice Long sessions from the late eighties mm. to early nineties, and they're beautifully compiled, you know, put together, packaging, vinyl etc etc you know and everyone's just so pleased and it's like he's going through all that process of getting them on the bbc and paying yeah. for them and putting them out and you think well yeah four i didn't realize the soup dragons did four john peel sessions or Janice <laughs> long sessions but i'm sure right. someone's going to want them <laughs> i don't know Somebody it's just will. Yeah. someone will but um yeah. it's just brilliant you know i love that kind of commitment that someone's got that Yes, it's it's great. It's just really good. So um, so then taking us then up to the current, you know, 2019, the world was as it was. And then and then was it the the lockdown moment that that your creative kind of moment, door, door of perception opened again? It, it, in a way, but it was a bit more convoluted than that. So there were various summit meetings with the band, which hadn't happened for years. Not We didn't all physically get together, excuse me, in a, in a room. But sometimes, you know, the three the three members who live in the states would, would might might be physically present, and then there'd be a Zoom call to the other two or whatever, sorting out all the stuff we were just talking about. But then, you know, particularly, I would say everybody else in the band, apart from me, to a greater or lesser degree in the intervening years, has been doing a bit of music, um, and notably the drummer Max, Peter Maxted. And um, Stephen Einson, who's also wrote some of the songs and played guitar as well, they both had quite good home setup studios that they'd developed over time and learned the technology, and, which was something was complete. I didn't know anything about any of that, and I was like very sort of uh, resistant to, to get involved with it, sort of tech fear, you know. Um, uh, but they were like, you know, we we don't have to go to a studio. We could start. In fact, we could do this as an experiment and start sending files around across the Atlantic and take our time with it. And, um, you know, if it's no good, we won't do anything with it. So I was like, well, I mean, I didn't take my guitar out of its case for 20 years. <laughs> you know, and I have to relearn. The first thing I did was I got the guitar out and I, I sort of had to relearn it um, in a way. And perhaps I relearned it in a, playing it slightly differently to how I once did, although... I'm talking about a, about a year ago now, so I think I'm up to speed again at this point. But um, it, I was very reluctant, um, and I was really sort of, I, I don't think I can get this. I can't. You know, they showed me what, how their setups worked at home. I was like, I can't get my head around this. Um, I, can't we all go into a studio like we used to do and just be in the same room? Said, no, no, we can't do that. You have to do it like this. 
Um, so they said, I'll tell you what you could do. You've got an, a phone, don't you? And I said, yeah, I do. <laughs> I've got a phone anyway. Uh, they said, you, you do a voice. You can do. You can write a song with the, the voice memo on your iPhone if you want. You can just play a, a little bit of guitar and sing into it. And then we can import that and then just replace everything. Uh, and you can do a better vocal on top of it or something like that. And that's kind of what we did. That's not the song that's out now, and it's not a song that may ever come out. But um, the very my very first effort at writing a song again um, was done in that way. I literally, um, it's my foot tapping, uh, playing some very rudimentary one-string guitar and singing a vocal, or just live into an iPhone. And the boys uh, did a number on it, and it kind of, they just wiped all of my stuff out um, and built it up. Uh, and then I eventually, when I was in England, I visited Max and sang the vocals properly in his home studio. I don't know if we'll do anything with it, but that that actually came out surprisingly well. And I suddenly realized this this does work, this idea. So then I made, made myself learn how to do it properly. And I got this, the, the rudimentary set up in the house here um so when they send me files i can now properly record and do the whole thing and get proper sounds and the eqs and everything and that's how we you know that's how i started to write again a uh, completely different way how i did it all those years ago in the 80s because you know we, we we operated in a completely different manner at that point um, yeah and did that feel okay and when once you sort of got over the hurdle and the slight kind of negative no this isn't going to work to actually perhaps it will work D did that suddenly feel like yeah of course it could work feeling and there's no reason I don't need to literally be there in the studio though once in a while it's quite good fun but you know yeah. one can just kind of be creative in this way yeah I, I you know it completely rejuvenated me um I've I'd for absolutely forgotten how much I missed doing it you know that's the thing and I suddenly got the bit between my teeth again and really um you know and we're talking probably since last november till now uh just really got back into it and i'm writing a lot and we have a, a whole bunch of songs in the in the you know uh the back burner as they say or the pipeline or whatever you want to call it um <laughs> still writing and you know i don't you know we wanted to see it but the one that's come out Heidi hole was the one that we all felt was the most representative of this sort of new sound of the Jack Rubies and yes. the most successful recording. Um, and we wanted to see how that was responded to. Um, seems to be going quite well. And so I think we're just going to keep going. And um, the other thing that's interesting is that, you know, it seems like how people re release music now is very different. Uh, you know, the old thing was like you put, you make some singles and then you try to make an album. Maybe none of the singles are on the album. Maybe one of one track is, but it's it's like it's a progression. You do some singles, maybe an EP, and then you you do a big album. But it seems now that people, you know, it's hard to get my mind around around it because I'm of that older generation. Um, it's a track. You put a track out. Yes. Maybe maybe it's an EP. But it's it's just it's all focused on one song at a time, um, and you don't leave a big gap between when you do one and when you do the next one. It's not like oh we'll bring something out again in a year. No, you don't do that. You you have to uh, just keep things bubbling along and 
you do the next track, maybe in three, four months later, um, maybe those tracks are eventually compiled onto an album, but that's not the goal. People listen in a different way now, I think. And um, we're, we're trying to understand that, how to make the music more friendly for people to listen to. Yes. So it's not this big dollop, 15 tracks at once, you know. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. Yeah, it is, it is kind of quite different. But yeah, no, it's interesting. I can't remember. I think it was a guy called Craig Walker who was in Berlin and he had been in a band in Ireland and they'd all gone and done their other, you know, gone off and doing, done their other stuff. But I think yeah. he stayed in music. But I think it was during lockdown, somebody said, look, you can just kind of record your tracks and then one very good producer engineer person can then pull it together and it will sound like you're all in the studio together and it's like no way oh my god it does work with you know because I think people might have tried it years ago and it's like you know sending files or something yeah. but this this I think some technology has completely changed to make it almost like actually it's all right we don't really need to be in the studio completely you know an inspiration yeah. can come from any direction so does that mean with the jack rubies right you've yeah, got a band yeah. camp page which is all up did you put this together in 2020 the way it looks right now is recently put up that we have we have had a band camp page oh yeah you're right you're right since 2020 i think you're right i think that's when we first put it up yeah yeah um we've just revamped the look of it to reflect the fact that heidi hole is out at the moment uh, so yes. focusing on that the artwork of that and the, so you go if you go to the site you go there first and then you can if you if you're interested to look at what else there is there with the other releases you can go into all that um, so you put you put out foolish foolish boy which was yes the, we did the five track two yeah. instrumentals and that came came out and this and this was material that you recorded from 1988 in fact yeah the reason we had the rights to that foolish boy because that was one of our singles in the UK um, and for some reason, I think they said it was too English at the time. The TV team, that was the one song they didn't want when they put that, when they gathered up all our indie material to make that first album for the States. Said, no, not Foolish Boy, it's too English. And uh, <laughs> I remember being quite, oh, okay. Um, <clears throat> so, we, so we had retained the masters for that and everything. We had all that stuff for that particular re release. So hence, uh, we said, well, what have we got we can put out that's ours? There's no dispute about Foolish yes. Boy. And Foolish Boy actually, um, you know, wh whether it's too English or not, a lot of people seem to like that song. I don't think people think of it like that now at all. You know, it's like, it was that particular time. Um, and maybe in some ways it did sound a little different to um, some of the other tracks that uh, TVT wanted to uh to take but um but yes so that we were able to put that one out yeah yes oh that's good and then you thought right let's follow it up with some another obscure kind of com you know collection which is yes duplo duplo ganger songs um doppelganger songs yes so that was basically we've got the, all the tracks on that are those those songs are on the tvt material but they're different recordings so these are alternative recordings that we had uh, um, and we had the masters for. So we, we were, again, we were, in, we were in the legal right place. We were allowed, to, we, 
they they couldn't be challenged because they'd never belonged to TBT in the first place. Yes, the, those actual recordings, you know. Um, so we thought, okay, what what, can, what else can we put out? Let's put these alternative versions yes. out. Um, but then that was it. Then we were like, now we can't put anything out unless we get the TVT albums back. So what are we going to do? Okay, start getting your guitar out of the cupboard again, Ian. Yes, so and that was it. And then you've got these two tracks, Heidi Hole and Heaven. So that's that's the two that, and these are the ones that you've recorded in this um, new way. Yeah, we did. And this exactly. is good. And that's with the, the five the five members have all yeah. come back together. And uh, everybody's involved. Yeah, everybody's involved. So who's in America and who's in the UK? Well, myself, obviously, in the states, the bass player Steve Brockway. Believe it or not, he lives about 100 yards away from me, um, which is, we, we, we probably, are, you know, we've obviously been friends for decades, but it's, we've both been living in this area of Brooklyn for many, many years, but it's by chance that we, we do. Um, so that's kind of wonderful that I've got this old buddy who's uh, just down the road from me. So he's, he's about 100 yards away from me. Stephen Einson, who's the other guitarist, uh, is in North Carolina. And it's the drummer, Max, who he lives in Sussex. Right. He's, he's kind of the, he's, he's the kind of the tech head. He's the one who puts it all together in his home studio um, in the way that you were describing that, that other artist. Like, well, you, you send all these files, and who, who, some, who assembles it, puts it together so it sounds like it's any good? That's what Max does. So he's not just a drummer. He's, he's kind of uh, become... A, producer as well i suppose yes um and um he's also very he's a kind of an all-rounder he's a bit of a uh you know he's rather an accomplished musician on other other uh you know instruments apart from the drums as well and then lawrence the percussionist lives uh, also in england in margate so it's it's um yeah we're all we're all spread out all over the place um i think if we were ever to uh contemplate performing is not on the cards at the moment but who knows we'd have to say we just okay now we all have to get together for a month in the same place because we can't do that like that we've literally got to get together and, and yes. uh, feel the proper chemistry of being in the same place um, can you remember the, the can you remember the last gig you played by the way did you mean uh yes i can um because it was a factor in was such a depressing gig. <laughs> um, the last, okay, so um, officially the last band, the last gig that we all played with all five of us on stage was actually quite triumphant. It was at the end of a tour. Uh, it was the New York date. Um, and this was, would, would have been in 1990. And there was a, a club that it no longer exists, but it was called the Marquee. Uh, like the English club. Now, whether or not it was just named after it or it was actually the same ownership, I've no idea. But it was quite a good club day, and that went really well. But and that was the end of the tour. But that's when the kind of the reality set in that um, all was not well. Um, so that's what Steve Einstein left the band a few months later. Um, the remaining members of the band the other four members, I came back to England and we did two or three gigs without Steve Heinsohn. And the last one we supported, it was like a low-key thing, we supported 
you know this band called um, the Frank and Walters? Oh yeah, I've come across the name Frank and Walters. They they uh, um, God, it's a terrible name, isn't it? But they became quite name. big in the nineties, yeah. didn't they? Yeah. So they were kind of on their resurgence at that point, uh, and we were like, uh, you know, who's the Jack Rubens? They went to America, forgot all about them. So we we were trying to do these low key gigs, um, mm. just trying to feel our way back into it and see if we can even even could carry on as a four piece. Um, so we we were given a support band to them and I forget where it was but it was one of those smallish gigs in London um so they were they were hip they were in the music press that week everyone ignored us and I think we literally did play to you know six people and and that was such a come down after um playing to a, a very enthusiastic crowd in New York um perhaps six or seven months earlier and that was like I just can't. I was, that was a factor for me. I was just, I can't do this anymore, you know. So that was the last bona fide Jack Rubis gig, albeit without the full membership. Yeah. So, we, yeah, it kind of it can be it can be quite sort of stark, can't it? Really. So yeah. with the new with this new <laughs> single that has come out, who did the yeah. artwork? Because the artwork's very striking, isn't it? So what does this what does this represent? Okay. So the artwork. Um, uh, I found that picture. I, one of the thing, one of the reasons I've been back and forth to the UK in the last six months is uh, dealing with some family stuff as well as um, musical matters. And uh, I had the uh, myself and my sister had the uh, sort of onerous job of clearing our parents' house. And um, one of the things, you know, my my dad. Um, He's still with us, but he's very old now. But uh, he was a doctor way back when. And he has a, a big collection of all these, um, uh, I guess they're textbooks from when he was a, a medical student, uh, which I discovered in the house. They're, you know, they're sort of mostly really boring. But one of them was the one I found that picture in, which had a lot of colour plates in it. And I thought, this is a w- really weird picture. I don't even know what condition or medical matter it's referring to. Um, but but what struck me was that's a really weird image. I really like it, and uh, I, I'm just going to take this book with me back to America. I don't know what I'm going to need it for, but I, I, I like this image. Um, and then when we were getting ready to think about cover art, it came back to me, and I said, "You know what?" And I'd already sung. You know, I don't know if you recall, but the song begins with me counting it in. One, two, three, or in French, I do it actually because there's some French lyrics in the in the in the song, un deux trois, and I thought this illustration has one, two, three written on it. I didn't put that one afterwards. It has one, two, three written on it. Right. And also, being a Bowie file, I thought you know subliminally, <laughs> I might be pushing a point here to the others, but I said subliminally, there's a bit of a Aladdin Sane esque kind of color to this thing you know i quite like it because it's it doesn't look anything like bowie or a, a bowie zigzag but in in a kind of subliminal way it's saying that to me it's saying glam bowie something saying something along those lines and it's creepy and weird and it says one two three on it and that's how the song starts i said this is a magical object that i found it was sitting in my parents house for 50 yes. years well, i said absolutely. this is what we have to use we have to use this image i said it has magical properties so that's why we used it. 
Fantastic. That is such a good that is, a, no, <laughs> that is absolutely 100 percent true. That's no, I, I could imagine. Yeah, you couldn't make that up, could you really? So that's that's really good. Oh, well, I'm I'm pleased. I'm, and did you just on that point, did you enjoy Moon Age Daydream, the um Morgan Brett film of David Bowie, his two and a half hours of um exciting kind of experience? Yes, I I I absolutely did, but I have uh, a few reservations about it, which I, you know, who cares if I've got reservations, but I, I did think it was a bit long. Um, I also thought, I mean, I would say on the positive side, I was absolutely riveted for the first two thirds of it because the, the, the footage was amazing. Um, and I like, I like, well, I'll tell you what my, my they're not grievances, but I'm, I, I did note that the style it was put together in Julian Temple's probably owed some royalties, you know, for that kind of, <laughs> you know, that kind of chop up, like use bits of footage that, that ping you in different directions kind of abstractly. Because uh, that's the kind of technique he's used a lot in his music films. Yes. And I thought, well, this is reminding me of a Julian Temple biopic. But um, uh, look, so that's a bit of a quibble because it still would look very gorgeous in a... Um, visual way but where I've started to get a bit worn down with it and believe me I'm one of the biggest Bowie fans and I, I think you are as well it's that I just didn't need so much of David walking around in the far east with the blonde hair um like travelogue kind of pictures so much of it there was a lot of it and it kept going back to it and um you know him doing his painting I like, I'm interested in his paintings and I was interested, interested to see his paintings that were shown in the movie, but there was a lot of clips of him, or the same clip, continually reused of him doing the daubing on the floor with paint splats on his face and all the rest of it. I thought that that was a little bit overkill of that particular um, period. I would have liked to have seen more on the Berlin period itself. You know, there was too much serious moonlight to the end, and that it was not enough Berlin period. There's plenty of glam and uh, diamond dogs and all that. I loved all that. So on the whole, I bloody well enjoyed it. But if you if you're asking my honest opinion, yeah, that's that's kind of where I was like mm, on those no, things. It's no, it's kind of it's it is interesting hearing your 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 little sort of comment on it because I I absolutely loved it, and then also felt there were bits that I was disappointed, and then I've listened to this interview, a long interview that he's done. I have to I'll send you the link actually it's kind of one of these I think it's called album to album it's a bloke who's just doing David Bowie stuff oh yeah and it's his thing and he and I hear the guy I think his name's Morgan talking about it and it's about an hour and a he sounds like the coolest dude ever but he really explains a lot of things and why he did certain things and why he didn't do certain things so it like answers a few of my oh that's a why did he not do that and why did he do this and so that makes it a little bit more Right, I understand what he was driving at and some of the reasons why it stopped where it did and he didn't include that and he included this. So I'll send you the link and then have a listen because I'm sure you can listen yeah. to it anywhere in the world. And then mm-hmm. and then it might just kind of change a few, I, I mean, might not. Um, but it was just kind of interesting him a very long chat with the director who went into kind of detail that you went, blimey, okay, I'm, I'm, that's interesting. I never even remember. I didn't know that film exists. I think it's called Mr. Rice or something. 
I made a note and I thought I must go and check it. But they mentioned this really obscure film that Bowie was in. So um, oh, I never heard of it. No, I didn't. So there was a few things that I thought, <clears> right, okay, a bit more research to do here. But it was in, it was interesting. I'll send you the I'll send you the little kind of podcasty interview because because he's got the most coolest voice that you could imagine really haven't you so there you go anyway that's um that's that's a different type of topic really but yeah interesting but now so with the single coming out you've done Heidi Hole and Heaven is there more you're planning for the end of the year and for next year on on sort of uh, not just the legal stuff but the kind of making new music have you because you you I think you said yeah. you've got stuff in the in the can we do um so just the legal stuff is kind of, you know, we've done what we have to do and it's, we don't have to do anything else now. It's like it's either it's going to run smoothly or there may be a pushback or a hiccup. But until that happens, that's just on the back burner now. Um, so hopefully that isn't going to take up um, any time. Uh, that would be a good, good result if it doesn't take up any time because it's going in the right direction. So uh, I'm hoping that we can devote all our energies to the creative side of things. And um, in the vein of Heidi Hole, I say that loosely because it's not like a remake of Heidi Hole, but in the vein of Heidi Hole, there's two or three other songs um, that I'm really happy with, um, which we're still tinkering with. That's the other good thing about the way we're working, which is a plus, is that without disappearing sort of, you know, into a... Uh, nowhere you can spend as long as you need getting it right and getting it to the point where you, you know everyone's happy it's not oh we've only got another 20 minutes before the studio time's up uh, you know we yeah. get this mixed done it's actually quite quite a relief and quite a luxury to be able to spend the time to get things right um without wallowing in it which is you know there's, that's a discipline that we all have to learn but um the songs the new songs because they've been written in a slightly different way, and that's really to do with time. I'm a different person to who, who I was in uh, 1987, but also my songwriting abilities. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, do, I'm writing the songs in a slightly different way, at least those ones. It's a little hard to explain, but I'm not playing guitar in quite the same way. And that was partially a symptom of being rusty. I couldn't do what yes. I used to be too. So I was like literally uh, finding ways to make music in a much simpler way. And sometimes that meant I was finding a, a, a melody on one string and that became the root from which a song was built, which is never how I would have worked way back when. Yeah. Um, so I think they've, the new songs, uh, and Heidi Hole included particularly, have a kind of, I'm going to, this might sound a little pretentious, but I think they have a modernism about them because of the way they've been written, which is with a lot more space and a lot more um, attention to detail than perhaps it would have been in the rehearsal room in 1987, where I've got a new one. Everyone joins in full volume. Um, that's been really fulfilling for me to find out there's other ways to write songs without it being... A completely different experience from uh you know the historic material that we have as well um, yes. but i do think i do think it sounds like the jack rubies but it doesn't sound like the jack rubies from the 1980s it sounds like 
the chemistry between the players is still there, but we're, we're, we're responding to each other in a slightly different way, a bit more considered. And we're older, you know, we're not all chomping at the bit and trying to, you know, turn the bass up, you know, it's not, it's not so much that <laughs> any, anymore. Yes. Um, so there are, there's a clutch of new songs. Uh, I'm writing, I'm, you know, I've, I've got the bug for writing right now. And there's one or two older ones that we might, which were never used, which were never finished really, which on a rainy day, we, when we couldn't think of anything else to do, we've had to look at those because the two candidates I'm thinking of have something in common with these newer songs. Whether or not they make the cut in the end, I don't know. But I think whatever happens, something else is going to come out. I don't think this side of Christmas, because, you know, things get tied up with the holidays. Yes. And after all, we're, even though it's out on Bandcamp right now, it's not coming out on all the other platforms, Heidi Hole I'm talking about, until um, the beginning of November. Well, it's in a week, week or so's time. But uh, So that's kind of, I wouldn't really want to put anything out after that until we get into the new year. But I think once the holidays are over and we're we're into sort of um, that, uh, that that period when people are starting to wake up again after after the uh, the holidays, um, we'll definitely put another track out or possibly a single, another you know maybe what we've just done basically yes. another couple of songs, um, and maybe again after that a few months later or perhaps we will start thinking about releasing a longer piece of work. Uh, it's it's all it's open. That's what's so nice about it. Nobody's telling us what to do. We we are finding our way as as we go and um, making sure that everyone in the group is like 100%. Yeah, I'm happy with this. This should come out because the last thing we would want is for people to go, what on earth are they doing making music now? Why don't they just leave everything alone as it was? Um, <laughs> and that, and that, that was a big... Uh, you know, nasty thing on my shoulders, whispering in my ear about that. And I feel much, much better now because Heidi Hole has only been available for a few weeks, but um, on the on a small level, it's really seemed to have hit us cold with people. I'm yes. very happy about that. It sounds good. It sounds good. And have you found yourself kind of waking up at sort of three or four in the morning, sort of thinking, God, actually, I've got some song in my head at the moment, or I've got some melody, or I've got some lyric that suddenly you've had to start scribbling or sort of humming into the um, microphone or your iPhone. Yeah, that's absolutely what happens. Um, and uh, I've, I've been sleeping quite well for several decades because I stopped doing that. But because yeah, back in the 80s, it was the same thing. It's like, ah, oh, got this idea for a song and then I couldn't go back to sleep again. Um, I, I'd forgotten about all of that. But yes, the mind starts whirring. Uh, and that's what happens. Yes, I will. I will. Uh, unfortunately, I've got this bad habit of getting some reasonably good ideas quite late in the evening. So it's like, uh, this would be better if I was thinking about this at um, 10, yes. 10 o'clock in the morning. But no, it's 10 o'clock at night. And then I'm like, ah, ah, I've got to stop. I've got to go to bed. Um, but then at three o'clock in the morning, yes, I will wake up. Yes, well, no, it's, that would, it sounds fantastic, actually. It does sound really exciting. And I think, you know, you've, you've sort of caught this kind of 
I don't know, this surf or this kind of wave of, of sort of a lot of other people from a similar decade sort of suddenly getting that kind of feeling of excitement again, but with a little, yeah, slightly different, but with a certain urgency and excitement thinking, well, this is just brilliant. I never thought this was going to be coming back again, but now it is. It's kind of, you know, and the technology is there because because a record label would be really tricky and no one understands it anymore. So Bandcamp and taking the ownership of all that side and as well as um, recording in your own house or someone's barn, if they've got such a thing, is, is yeah. kind of keeps the costs down. And then with technology, it's kind of made it a little bit more affordable. So it's it's quite a handy time to be having these kind of creative splurges, really. Yeah, I don't think it could have happened at all if that wasn't in, wasn't in place. Um, yeah, that, it's really kind of wonderful that that, that technology does exist and it, it's um, it's available right at the time when I I feel like flexing my wings again. You know. Um, yes. Well, this is great. Well, this is we need these things to keep us happy. <laughs> so. Tell me about it. It's, ther it's therapy in a way. I suddenly thought, oh, God, I feel like I'm alive again. I'm doing music. Doesn't, yes, even, even, even if no one likes it, I like it, you know. So it's I really think this important. is true. And it's been such a strange decade. I mean, it has been the oddest decade of our yes. lives. Yes. Um, and, it's, and, it's, and it's weird, isn't it? Because you kind of get that feeling of like, what is this going to decade going to be? What are they going to say about it? I mean, you know, it just has no identity. There's no like, oh, that was the 80s. Oh, that was the 90s. That was the, you know, but this decade, I think is is getting really, you know, and we're, we're into the, the next year nearly. Well, not quite, yeah, but, not quite, but, it, but it, it, yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah. Strange goings on. Just when you thought it couldn't get any weirder, it does. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yes, it has got weird, hasn't it, really? But anyway, look, well, thank you, Ian, ever so much for this. It's been amazing. So, um, yeah, if you want, I can put this out and um, send you the link. And, um, yes, you can always put it. Do you have a Facebook page? Yes, we do. There's a Jack Ruby's Facebook page, yeah. Um, I should check that out. I know. Uh, yeah, if you just go, I mean, yeah, you, it's the Jack Ruby's Facebook. Yeah, we have a Facebook page. I'll certainly put the links out there. We've, we've got a little Twitter feed going on. Well, you know that because we've communicated on Twitter. Um, yes. I'm trying to understand, because, you know, the other thing we've done, um, one of the things I, one of the things I learned how to do um, in the interim years was um, filmmaking to some degree. So uh, when it comes down to any visuals for this material, it's really, really me who's doing that. So we've, we've done a little short clip for Heidi Holt, um, which is floating around on the, on the, on the uh, um, media site. But I'm trying to understand what TikTok is and how I could possibly use it because I don't understand it. And that's kind of my, because I'd, I'd like to use the visuals for something on TikTok, but uh, beats me. I try and talk to my grown-up daughters about what it is, but they can't explain it to me because I'm, you know, I, I don't have the knowledge. So. No, I, I know. I, I saw the other, I think it was last year, sort of Suzanne Vega saying, oh, I'm on TikTok. And I don't think she's ever used it apart from that one moment and, and is probably thinking, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do now. And yeah. someone who, you know, you need a young person who will say, look here, granddad, this is what you do. And, it's a, oh, yeah, it's, kind it's of, a bit but, of that. No, I've but never, the regular ones, the regular ones we're on, you know, yes, Facebook I mean, for old people, as, uh, as my daughters say, and... Um, Twitter and and Bandcamp, which is written sort of like our site, I mean, in a way. It's Actually, 
I find, um, yeah, Instagram is quite nice because everyone's nice on Instagram, aren't they? And it seems to be a place that you, you know, you can post up something quite quickly and go, blimey, okay. <laughs> that's, that's another one I should, I should, I should do, I should look at Instagram first because it's more understandable by the sound of it. Yeah. And then if it, I'm feeling really brave, I'll put my foot in the. I think, yeah, in Instagram is definitely one of those. Oh, I've got an account. Oh, I posted something. Oh, someone likes it. How amazing. um i don't know it's a whole weird world isn't it it is but i haven't the tiktok world is one that i have like i'm just hoping it will go away and i wouldn't have ever had to worry about it but i don't know (laughs) yeah it may take over everything you never know yeah we we, we're just here just fumbling around aren't we like old men with post-it notes and pens so um who knows? Anyway, look, this has been brilliant. Thank you ever so much. I'm yeah. really pleased to hear your story. And this is great. And um, yeah, I'll put this out very soon. And then yeah, right. I'll give you the link. And um, yes, we'll keep in touch. But thanks again for sending me the files. That's been brilliant. Oh, you're more than welcome. And, and I'll definitely uh, play. I'll play the next, the other song, Heaven, next week as well. So okay, that, that would be wonderful. Yeah. No, um, that's good. It's I, good. Great to talk to you. It's all, I'm always happy that uh, you keep in touch. And um, what can I say? Thank you for the support. It's great. Yeah, no, take care and uh, best of luck with the uh, with all the best uh, with the, uh, the rest of the band. That's what I'm trying to say. Yes. Send my sure. regards to the band. That's what I'm I saying. will do. Okay. All right. Take Thanks, care. David. See Bye-bye. you later. Bye bye. Yeah, take care. Now that, dear listener, is quality chat um, and a nice ending. I know I could edit it out, but um, it's always quite amusing <laughs> here myself. OK, it's embarrassing, but um, it's kind of sweet. Anyway, look, a massive thank you to Ian Wright. Um, forgive me the time for that interview. This is the Jack Rubies. And if you want to go to that Bandcamp page, it's quite straightforward, really. Just do Jack Rubies Bandcamp. And uh, yes, they've got a bit of uh, other you know, releases on there, as well as the new singles. So do check that out and um, support them. And hopefully their archives will be getting sorted out very soon. So um, hurrah for that. Anyway, this has been the C86 Show, David E. So if you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just do C86 Show. Keep it positive, please. That's all I'm saying. And also, these have all been archived. Aren't you lucky? So uh, find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam. Anyway, have a great week. Stay safe.